Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Berg. All right, welcome to the very first episode of the Bow Hunting Podcast. We are all bow hunting, all the time, and I have been waiting for this day for a while now. We've relaunched Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio as the Bow Hunting Podcast, just kind of freshening it up, refocusing on hardcore bow hunting, and I can't think of anybody better to kick it off with me than my man, Mr. Clint Casper from Ohio, with an awesome success story about how he took a monster eight-pointer in Ohio, late season, sub-zero temperatures, months and months of chasing this deer, and he finally got the job done. Clint, welcome to the Bowhunting Podcast. My man, the Bowhunting Podcast. I'm happy to be here. This is exciting. This is the first episode with the brand new look, brand new everything. Absolutely. I, I have a little bit of an inside look at this for the last month or two. You graciously kind of let me in a little bit on what's going on. Got to kind of see it transform into this and the different ideas and designs. Tell you what, man, it's killer. I'm pumped. I'm, this is this is special. This is a big deal. It, it looks awesome. It looks great. New logo, new look. Yeah, and I know you wanted a sweatshirt with the new logo, and I haven't gotten that to you yet. And so to very subtly show your displeasure, you have decided to wear your working class bow hunter sweatshirt on this episode. So (laughs) thanks. Thanks for that, my man. Really, really love the way you're representing. (laughs) Well, I was hoping to have another sweatshirt. I did this one, though. And hey, you know what? We like to collaborate with one another anyway, so there's big things to come in the future for WCB and Peter the Small Hunt, so there's that cat out of the bag, which we talked about a little bit. We uh, drop it on my series, the CC Hunt Files, I believe next week. Stay tuned for that. I got my man Berg on, and we talk all about uh, mobile hunting and whatnot and moving around in today's world, airplanes and vehicles, and so little little preview there. Keep an eye on that. That will be coming down next week. Absolutely. And I enjoyed spending some time with you and Kurt at the ATA show. And I'm looking forward to getting, you know, both of you guys on with myself and associate editor Mark Demko for another episode real soon. We actually wanted to do that. We had planned to get with the WCB guys to launch this and have a four-way conversation. But then my man Clint had to go out and kill this giant eight-pointer. And I was like, we can't wait any longer. I got to get you on right away and talk about this deer. So let's dive right into it, Clint. You know, you, let's start with this, okay? And and it's really like mad props to you. You have a little hashtag or a saying that you like to use when you're hunting. And it's basically don't settle or never settle, right? Um, Just talk to me about that philosophy and how it kind of carried you through this past whitetail season in Ohio. Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, there's a a common theme or a trend, you know, there's a, there's a, a small nucleus of guys that I look at as you know, for me, they would be like the guys I look up to in, in the bull hunting realm. Um, you know, some of them are big names. Everybody would know them and, and some aren't, but I've got to be real close with a lot of them. I've got to hunt with most of them. 
And just the common trait between all of them is, you know, it's the process, it's the journey, it's the grind. They all, you know, they're scratching and clawing and fighting their way through adversity, through the season, and they never settle. If they've got a goal or they've got this, this dream buck or bull or whatever their case is, maybe it's their first turkey on public in a new state, whatever the case is, they just never settle. And they'll fight and scratch and claw their way to that goal. Win, lose, or draw. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But there's never a moment where they give up, they hit the stop button, or they settle. And I see these guys succeed because that mentality keeps them motivated. It keeps them in the game. So for me, over the course of my bow hunting career, I've adapted that because I see that that's what these guys are doing. And it works. You know, when you really put your mind to something and you really, truly are, are just starving for it, and you're hungry, and you're you're I guess the best way to describe it would be I'm as hungry for the process and the grind in the quote unquote, the bar fight that it takes to get somewhere as I am actually shooting the animal. I mean, honestly, that's kind of the easy part when it's all said and done. It's the, the process to get to that point that I've really fallen in love with. And I think success will come to those who are patient enough and put in that time and really, truly appreciate and respect what it takes to get there because let's be honest we would all love to kill whatever we want to kill every year but it doesn't happen i mean those moments are rare and when you put in all this time and effort and you do everything you possibly can you're you're starving for it it just makes it so much sweeter and for me it's just fun to play that game i love to hunt one specific buck every year uh, it's just kind of what i've been doing for the last probably seven or eight years and i just like that i like the chess match it's it's a it's a total fifth fight from day one till day zero some bucks i've killed some bucks have gotten killed by other people a couple of them have gotten hit by cars i mean it's a it's just a roller coaster ride of emotion playing that game but i just love the process and journey that comes with it and that's just really what makes me tick. some will understand it some won't and that's okay but for me man that's just what i really i really love to do and i, I just i won't settle for anything less if i stick my mind to it whether it's life, whether it's bow hunting, whatever, I, I just, that's where I'm at. You know, here's my goal. Here's where I'm going. And there's no stop until I get there. It might take me a while. It took me 76 days this year to get there, but gosh dang it, Berg, we weren't stopping until we got there. Yeah. So I want to jump all the way back to the beginning, but before we do that, let's kind of tease people by setting the stage. You mentioned 76 days. What was, what was the date that you actually killed this bug? 26, January 26th. January 26th. And your season ends what? This weekend? Like first weekend in February? This Sunday. So it's uh, the 6th. So you were down to basically a week and a half of yeah, season. About uh, two more hunts if I wouldn't have killed him that night. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how many actual sits did you do this year to kill this deer? Did you figure that out? Is that the number you were using, the 70-something? That was the, my 76th day of deer hunting in Ohio. There was a time frame of about six weeks that I thought that buck was dead. Um, no pictures for one on two months, no sightings. The neighbors hadn't seen him, no pictures. A giant eight had gotten hit in gun season in the shoulder. The, the landowner never recovered it. In my mind, this buck was dead, and I was going to have to move on. Um, it took the wind out of my sails 100%. It, it, uh, 
I knew I had to keep hunting and, and figure it out and go to the next buck. But I'll be honest, I mean, it really took it really took a shot out of me. Um, having to finally be like, okay, well, no pictures, no sightings. No one has seen him. He was a very local living legend. No one's getting pictures. I mean, we were all kind of collaborating, trying to just, is he alive? Is he not? I don't know where he went. No one knows where he went. Um, he went somewhere and then finally returned. So that was kind of like the, the crazy part was, you know, in the 76 days of hunting in Ohio, um, probably, you know, 25 of those six, I'm thinking he's dead and I'm trying to move on. But I, it, it was just so hard to move on. But I knew I had to try to figure something out. So I was trying to find other bucks. I actually started hunting a buck that I let walk early in the season, early in the rut at seven yards, full draw that I thought was this buck. It ended up not being him. Another big giant brain date. I'm, I'm hunting him now, you know, until this buck shows back up on a Tuesday night. And then yeah. that's when it changed. And, and, and so that was awesome. The way that you like got that trail camera photos and you went in and got it done. But again, teasing that i want to go all the way back to the beginning and kind of set the stage for the whole season because you know if you listen to the show if you've read uh clint's articles in the past you know that he has several different properties that he hunts there in ohio and typically what you'll do clint and i know this from you know being buddies with you for a number of years you'll kind of wait until there's a particular deer that captures your imagination and you know you may focus most of your hunting on one farm one year another farm another year it just depends on where the, that big buck shows up so take me back to the very beginning how long did you know about this deer was this a deer that you had history with from like years past or was this a deer that just showed up this year did he show up you know before the season during the season and and then how did you decide to you know, really focus on just this one particular deer. Yeah, so this buck's actually been around for, this would be the fourth year of pictures, kind of knowing he was around. Um, every year prior to this, I've always had another buck that I was after, or I was hunting. Um, last year, I killed my buck on the 2nd of October. This buck starts showing himself a lot in the middle of October. So, good friend of mine actually should have killed this buck on the 23rd of October, but situational stuff took place and wasn't able to get this buck killed. Probably mainframe eight had some trash on him last year. I would guess probably mid one fifties. I mean, just a giant frame, you know, a six and a half, seven and a half year old buck. Um, beautiful deer. I'm really hoping he's going to make it into this year. So that's 2020 um, going into 2021 start running minerals, get my food plots done in the spring. And actually one day I'm planting a field of beans. I jumped this buck out of a fence row, shut the tractor off. He's just standing there looking at me. I'm looking at him. And at this point in time, he's just got, you know, big bases and starting to get beans, but he's just got that look, just giant body. He, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, Ooh, man, that might be the giant eight. Very close to where he liked to hang out. Um, from years past in the summer and stuff. I got a lot of photos of him. So as the spring and summer progresses, you know, me and the boys, we're running trail cameras. And they go and check the cameras with me a lot. We put out minerals, mow food plots. Like, you know, they're, they're just they're with me a lot. We start getting pictures of him. I mean, 
probably I would say once June rolls around, you could tell, like, yep, that's him. It just got this cartoon character looking frame. Just looks like he's going to tip over at any point. Um, I knew he was going to be something special. Wasn't sure at that point how big, but I knew he was going to be my target buck. You know, at this point, he's a seven, eight-year-old deer. Um, been around for like four or five years now. Just a buck that I would just absolutely love. You know, love to be able to have the opportunity to, to hunt and kill. Now, I've got a bunch of Western hunts coming in August and September. So I'm doing a ton of work, hoping I can get on this buck early. That's that's my plan. My plan is I want to get on this deer early. I'm a pattern hunter. I like early. I like late. Uh, the rut stresses me out. When you're hunting one deer and you just don't know where that deer is in November, he's here one day, over there the next. I mean, it's just, you know, I spent a lot of time hunting him in the rut this year, but I really was hoping to kill this buck early. So my game plan, you know, was kind of to hunt close to that core area, try to gather as much information all summer as I can with cell cams and with, and with uh, trail cams and stuff. So he sheds velvet. Um, end of August, early September, I've got to go. I'm going to Utah to hunt mule deer, and then I'm going to Wyoming with my buddy Kurt. He's got a good tag I'm going to help him with. Get those hunts done, come back to Ohio. So we're heading into the first week of season. Still showing up. I'm like, okay, man, this is perfect. Like, all I got to do now is, is get, get in there and hunt him on the right winds. And now, have, now, Kurt, now, now, Clint, so you, you talk about opening weekend. So are we still in late September or early October now? When did your season open this year? September like 26th, 27th, I believe is our opener this year. It's the last Saturday of the month of September every year. Okay. So you're looking at the last weekend of September. You've got trail camera pictures of this deer and you're thinking that you actually have a pretty decent chance to put the pieces together here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about my opportunity this, that first week. Moon phase is good, pretty solid temperatures. Um, the only thing concerning me is the neighbor to my east had done a pretty aggressive um, select cut. A lot of canopy and a lot of things have changed in this creek bottom that this buck was staying in. I was very nervous about what my thermals might do with now there not being so much cover over there. There's more of like a wind current tunnel that's going to go through that bottom. I'm very nervous about what's going to be. Well, First night in, I was already worried about it, and I was my, my gut was telling me, if you know, oh man, we'll see how this plays out. First night in, I'm all excited. I get in there, first batch of does comes through, kind of on edge, not sure why. Um, for those that don't know, you know, Christian knows because he hunts with me. My clothes don't ever see a truck, they don't see a gas station. I get dressed, undressed. I'm very, very weird when it comes to very particular about scent control and, and just keeping everything to a minimum. Um, the Zonic scent crush, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm big on all that stuff. I love to use it. They're on edge. And I'm like, gosh darn, my directional wind's good, but I'm thinking my, my thermals are pulling down to them. Small group of bachelor, a small bachelor group of bucks comes in. Um, some small bucks, nothing, nothing that would, I would say was probably over three and a half years old. They all stopped dead in their tracks at about a hundred yards and they're testing, they're testing, they're testing, they're licking their lips, they're putting their nose up. Oh, yeah. I knew, it make, like, makes you nuts. I'm like, we got a problem. Like Houston, we got a problem. So we got about an hour before daylight. 
He's here building through. I got a nice buck coming. He's not the giant eight, but a buck that I knew was hanging around as well. Probably a four and a half year old. He comes in, he catches a whip, turns around and completely heads back to bedding. I knew right then and there. I was like, this is this is not good. So I got down. Didn't even wait for dark, got down. I just I knew every deer has caught me. They don't know for sure, but every deer has caught something. They caught enough of me. So the next day I'm in there, move the stand. I'm trying to get positioned to where my thermals are wrapping around a hill and not just diving down in this creek bottom. In the month of from September to the middle of October, I moved my set five times, five different sets. Couldn't get it figured out. I, I was blowed at, I'm stomped at. I, you know, I just, I know in my head, like, okay, you're not killing anybody here. It's just not going to work. It's not going to happen. Like, I can't get away from getting winded. It's driving me nuts. Now, I'm still getting... Well, I, I, I just want to interrupt there for a second and, and say that, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who just heard that that are feeling a little bit better about themselves because a lot of people probably think, oh, you know, Clint Casper kills big buck every year. Uh, you know, he never gets busted. He never gets winded. He never gets blowed at. So, you know, just for people to even hear that, like, hey, man, it happens to Clint, too. And it is tricky sometimes when you're trying to get these setups right. It really is. And I mean, I don't care if it's not gas or a human odor, but if they just smell something that's not right to them, that's dangerous. You know, they know what's there and what's not. So it doesn't have to be gasoline or uh, grease off a cheeseburger. I mean, it, 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 it could just be your actual scent coming off of you. They know that's not, that's a foreign odor. They don't know what it is. They don't care what it is, but they know it's foreign. Um, so moving closer to the rut now, I'm still getting pictures of it, but they're all nighttime. Um, I truly think he was on his way that evening. I think, truthfully, he caught me and just never let me know it. I never got to see him. But if I had to guess, he probably was on his way up that bottom at some point, caught a whip of me, turned around, because he was there an hour and a half after dark after I left. Very nervous. Very, very nervous when he got up into this little food plot. Extremely nervous. So I think he caught whiffs of me earlier on, knew something was up, shouldn't have been there. So now I'm, I'm playing the game. I'm, I'm, I've moved all these stands. We're heading into around like the 20th of October. I'm kind of starting to flip the page now into the rut. Okay, what am I going to do? Where am I going to hunt? Um, I've got a small piece of property to hunt that he actually stays on and ruts on, um, surrounded by a bunch of neighboring properties that get hunted pretty heavily. Um, everyone's got pictures of him. Everybody knows he's there. So there's a lot of pressure around. I mean, there's without a doubt. And I know that. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, I want to hunt as many all day sits as I can. Like my job and careers and stuff allow that. So in the rut, I'm thinking, man, middle of the day might be great for me. You know, he might move a lot middle of the day and not as much boring evening. Because at this point, he knows he's being hunted. Everyone's getting to go camp pictures of him. Everybody knows he's around. It's not some big secret. So we start the rut. I start hunting all day sips on October 30th. Uh, my birthday comes and goes on the 6th. The next day is the 7th. I don't know why, but I'm thinking, man, today's like the day. Like this is, today's the day. I killed a really, really great buck two years ago on the 7th, right after my birthday. I'm just like, 
This is it. Today's the day. Well, it's one of the best days of the year to kill big bucks. I mean, November 7th, you know, if you if you asked our buddy Bill Winky, you know, what day to put money on, he'd put all his money down on November 7th and ride with it. So your thinking wasn't too far off, you know. Absolutely. So it's pretty calm, pretty still that morning. Um, Wind-wise, thermal-wise, um, I've moved up on this ridge a little bit. I've kind of gotten out of that bottom. Um, it kind of all tapers down in, but, you know, I'm, I'm directional wise and with the thermals, I'm in a lot better position now than I was prior to early season. I didn't want to go deep as far deep down in early. Um, but now I'm, I'm closer to bedding. I'm, I'm off the food plot. So I'm kind of down in the thick of things. I haven't seen a deer all morning. It was really, really strange, really weird. About eight o'clock rolls around. And I mean, I don't know this buck, like I don't hang out with him. I don't know what he sounds like, but I hear a grunt up on the ridge. And in my mind, I'm just like, God, that's him. Just this big, deep, just one, just, and I'm like, oof. I'm like, mm. I'm like, that's just, it just sounds like, like, it just sounds like what a big buck would sound like, you know? Like I said, I can't personally say I know what he sounds like, but in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's him. I can hear him walking up there because it's frosty. It's pretty cold that morning. I believe it was around 20 degrees. Um, I can hear him walking. He's working my way, but he's up on the ridge, which would have been like to like the north of me. Um, I hear him grunt again, and he's up there raking this tree, and he's I can I can see this little oak. I mean, he's a really really aggressively. I can see it with my binos. He's really 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 raking the crap out of this tree. So I know he's 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 all aggressive. He's all bristled up. I'm not a big call guy. I don't really use sense. I don't really use calls. It's just not, just not really my thing. But in my head, I'm thinking, if he would not come down to me and he ends up going across this ridge, if there was ever a chance to maybe play that game, this would be it because he is very, very worked up for whatever reason. He gets done rubbing this oak, starts moving in my direction. I can hear him getting closer. He's grunting the whole time. Finally, I can see, and I'll never forget just seeing those big white 25, 26 inch beams coming across the hill. I mean, I'll, I'll never, never forget that moment. I can see he's going to work towards the neighbors. He's going to cross high. He's not going to come to me. Crosses the fence. Susie crosses the fence. I'm like, all right, I'm going to hit him with a snort wheeze. I want to hit him with a snort wheeze because I want to challenge him to think there's another buck down here that has seen him. Maybe he turns, maybe he doesn't. I'm going to give it a shot. Starts walking away. He stops. And right then in there with my mouth, I just hit him just as loud as I can. It's really, really still. So I knew he'd be able to hear me. He's only at maybe 85 yards working away from me. The second that he hears that, he spins around, thumps that left foot, pins his ears back, and he snorts back at me. I mean, just right now, boom. And I'm like, oh, man. Now, the hair on your neck had to have been standing up at that point. He turns on his ears back. He jumps the fence, walks about 10 yards down the fence line to me. He stops, and I thought, okay, I'm going to hit him one more time, and hopefully he commits. And then that's it. Grab the bow, and here we go. So I hit him again with... He grunts right back at me, and on his way. I mean, just stiff leg. You can tell he would trot a little bit like he was pissed off. He's coming. He doesn't know what buck it is, but he 
he's mad. He's coming. So my wind is good. I'm a little bit worried because he's going to have to cross this creek in front of me. I'm a little worried because there's not much wind about my thermals possibly sucking down there to him. But at this point, this is where he's coming. Like, this is what I've got to work with. So he's going to wrap this fence. He's going to cross the creek. He's going to be at like 12, 13 yards on the other side. I got a big opening over there. I got my ball off the hook. Got my back bar resting like on my stomach. So I'm like, I'm just, I'm waiting on him. Here he comes, 30, 25, 20. Gets down to the creek, takes a drink of water. He's down there. He's just kind of looking around, you know, pins the ears back again, starts coming around. I need him, at this point, I'm back to pool draw. I need him to take another three steps and I can shoot. He catches my thermal and he goes from ears pinned back to stiff leg to like imagine a giant turkey in the spring that's running at your decoys and catches you moving. He's in full strut. He's running and just immediately puffs out and gone. That's what he does. He puffs completely down, ears pinned up. He's looking around. He's lifting his head up. And now I'm, I'm frantically trying to find a hole. I'm at full draw. He's at 16 yards. I can't find a hole. There's nothing. I mean, there's just, there's nothing there. So now I'm thinking, okay, he's going to blow out of here. Where's my escape at? I let down. He's still down there. He's looking. He's getting nervous. I know. I, I know my gig's up. Now I'm ranging. I'm looking. I'm like, okay, 35 here, 40 here. Run my slider. I put it at 37. I'm like, okay, I just need him. I need him to go back the way he came. He's going to be quartering away from me, still on our side of the fence. I can shoot him there. That's not what happens. He spins around. He crosses the creek. He stands there. He looks back at me. He doesn't know where I'm at, but just looks in my direction. Stomps two or three times and he snort wheezes and blows from that point in time clear until I could not see him. I've never had a big buck in my whole entire career bow hunting do this. Every couple steps, he snorted, stomped, and blew and walked directly away from me, almost as if to let me know, you were this close, buddy, but this is why I'm the master of this piece of ground. Not today, my friend. If he didn't blow a hundred times from the, that point to where he got over the ridge, I couldn't see him and couldn't hear him anymore. He didn't blow once. I mean, you, you must have you, you must have felt about this big by the time he got out of sight, man. I, I mean, the wind out of my sails. It was it was bad. I mean that that was a crushing, crushing blow. Um, sat there the rest of the day. Didn't really know what to think. I'm like, well, he's in the area. It's the rut. Anything can happen. I'm just got to keep hunting. So I started on the 30th. I was leaving for Utah to go hunt mule deer um, on the 16th. I was leaving on the 15th. So from the 30th to the 14th, every day besides the day that me and Keaton came to help you recover your buck, I hunted dark till dark all day since. Um, it was rough. But I just knew my best opportunity at this point was to hopefully catch him back in the area. Never saw him, was not getting pictures of him. I was pretty afraid that I blew him out of there and he just really, truly did not want to be in there anymore because he for sure caught me. Um, pretty, pretty deflated. I mean, it's really, as a bow hunter, when you're chasing one buck and you know that you really kind of screwed up an opportunity there. Not that I meant to do it, not that I could have really changed anything, but 
he just got to a point where I think my, that wind, my thermals were just diving right to it. I mean, there was just no mistaking it. They weren't in front. They weren't over him. They were literally diving right to him. Well, what you, the, other, the, other, the other thing <clears throat> that I want to throw in here is, you know, you didn't talk at all yet about how many other really good deer were in the area. And you had over the course of the rut, particularly at least three or four other really nice mature deer in very, very chip shot type shooting opportunities for, for you that you let go. And I'm just curious, you know, for somebody like me, you know, you think about that encounter that you just described and watching that buck walk away, snorting, you know, blowing out the whole area and and that feeling of, you know, just deflation, you know, that you had. For somebody like me, I, I would then start to go back to some of these other opportunities that I had passed on by. And now I start second guessing myself. And, and I don't know if that's something that you struggle with. I know that you're a lot more dedicated, you know, to that idea of hunting one buck where I'm more, you know, the first good buck that comes along, you know, gets the arrow. But uh, I mean, is that something that you started to think about too, especially as the season dragged on, the rut kind of comes to an end. You're now kind of wrapping your head around the idea that now you're like into the late season game. And I, I know you like that in some ways because you think it's, it's easier to get the deer back on patterns, but you still have to wonder like should i have taken some of those other opportunities along the way yeah so i mean it definitely crossed my mind you know man um if, if this buck gets killed or as long as this buck's alive absolutely no question in my mind um it was him or nothing and and, and playing the game i play i'm willing to eat tags i've done it before that's part of the game if you're gonna play the one buck game you're going to eat some tags. Uh, that's just, that's just all there is to it. You know, you're, you're not always going to beat them at their own game. Um, so I guess the answer to that, if, if both, both those scenarios played out. So I hunt like 13, 14 days, dark till dark in November. I leave on the 15th. I get into Utah. I'm on the side of a mountain. I got service. My cell cam goes off. Ping. 12.01. November 16th, that buck standing, getting ready to go work a scrape. They would have been 35, 40 yards from my stand. There's, a, I've got an opening to that scrape. I could shoot that all day long. 12:01, so dead noon. I'm like, man, it's like now I'm really questioning. Like, huh, well, you're on the side of a mountain chasing mule deer. Like, <laughs> dang it, you know, like what? Darn it. So, but. That kind of relit the fire a little bit. I'm like, okay, he's back. It's broad daylight. It's noon. I get back seven or eight days later, and I love that late rut. I love right around Thanksgiving. Our gun season always starts the Monday after Thanksgiving. Um, so I hunt another six or seven days. Uh, most of those were dark till dark. A couple morning, evening deals where I had to switch stands because the wind got bad on me. But one more time spent. Um, nothing. Nope, no pictures, no sightings. Shotgun season comes. I'm on pins and needles because, you know, there's just so many guys out there. I'm just like, oh, man, you know, I hope he makes it. Well, 
on like Wednesday or Thursday gun season, I hear that a neighbor hits a giant framed eight in the shoulder with a 20 gauge, does not recover. Talk to the neighbor. He's killed some big bucks. He knows what a big buck looks like. He's describing, I don't know what year this was. It didn't end up being the giant eight, but he's describing the giant eight. He's like eight or 10 points, super white rack. He's like the biggest frame I've ever seen on a typical. And I'm just, my heart's just sinking. I'm like, man, you know, you want me to come help you? Like, he's like, man, we've spent three days. He had all those buddies come in. They brought a dog in. Couldn't find this buck. He got down in this swamp. So I'm just like, okay, maybe it wasn't him. So now we're working in towards heading towards Christmas. We're going on four or five weeks. No pictures, no sightings. This is after supposedly he got hit. At this point, I'm walking back from hunting one night, and I remember just stopping and being like, all right, dude, you're going to have to move on. Like, you can't keep hunting this deer that potentially everyone thinks is now dead. No one's had pictures. No one's had sightings since gun season when this buck got hit. He's, he's dead. He's got to be dead. Tough pill to swallow. Um, but in my mind, I'm like, putting all this time and effort, like, what are you going to do? Just stop and throw the towel in? Like, no, you're just going to go find another buck. So it's funny because... No, and, and, and I remember, Clint, if you'll let me interrupt again, I remember that time because you actually had said to me, like, okay, I'm going to go hunt one of these other deer because I've got to get something killed. Because another thing that you didn't talk about at all, and this adds, I think, some important context to this whole hunt, right? This entire story is your elk hunt in Utah. Yep. Two, two different trips, I think. Your mule deer hunt in Utah, two different trips. You didn't fill any of those tags. So here's Clint Casper who, you know, let's face it, okay, people who know you, this is a guy who's used to punching, you know, multiple tags over the course of the fall on some pretty impressive animals. And here you are literally, you know, getting skunked. And, and now you've put in all this time on this whitetail. And so having to shift gears mentally and, and sort of embrace this idea of just like trying to salvage something out of your season, it's, you know, I wanted people to have some idea of the weight, you know, it was like, because you and I had been talking about it all fall. Obviously, you do a lot of writing for the magazine. And we're like, what are you going to write about? You know, Clint, how many stories can you write about the hunt that didn't work out and how many ways things can go wrong? And all the lessons I learned from like, you know, blowing this stock and having the, the elk go the wrong way on the trail on this day and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know, at some point, buddy, you're going to have to notch a tag. Yep. No, yeah. I mean, I spent uh, 51 days between the middle of August to uh, the end of December. I was in Utah four different times, Wyoming once. Um, yeah, man, it was a grind. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I had been in a, a, I had been in a daggone bar fight all fall. I mean, bloody lip, black eyes, you know, but, um, Man. Yeah, and, and you definitely, you looked, by the way, Clint looked like, literally looked like a meth addict off the street. When I was out there for a few days in November, you, Clint, Clint was as pasty, pale, white, and gaunt as I have ever seen him. Like, he was pulling like 14, 15 all day sits in a row. And, and like, I have never seen you look so wrung out as I saw you that day. 
Yeah, I, I was uh, I was pretty I was pretty run out, pretty stressed out. Um, and you know, I've got two little boys, so I'm still doing life. You know, school in the morning or or basketball practice, and and you know, still trying to you know have time with them and and, and co-parent with you know with their mom, and still like life is still going on even while I'm hunting. You know, that's still all part of the daily deal. You know, um. Yeah, I mean the hunts this year, it was it was a, a grind from start to finish, you know, which kind of set the pace for the entire year for me because it was kind of like, okay, you've you've got two roads, you know. Um at this point, we're working on Christmas. This buck has disappeared. It's the buck I want. My whole season has kind of been rough. Um, I've been scratching and clawing and trying to get an opportunity. And at this point, I've had my bow drawn back once on a mule deer. And once on the giant eight, and that's it. Out of 51 days out west and 50 some days at this point of bow hunting in Ohio, I've only bet my limbs back twice and haven't fired an arrow. I mean, so your two roads are you're either going to really dig in and scratch and claw your way out of this hole, or you're going to kind of hang it up. And I just don't have a stop button. I don't have a quit button. I just, I don't even know what that word is. So for me, it's like, all right, we're going to go find another buck. We're going to go kill a buck. Um, I don't care about score or any of that. I want to find a mature buck. Um, I had two bucks in mind. I passed both of them up earlier in the year, not because they weren't great bucks, not because they weren't mature. It's because the giant eight was available. He was there. And that was my number one buck. So win, lose, or draw, I was all in on him. Now I think he's dead. I'm going to start hunting these other bucks. So I started in on that. Running cell cams on... Um, I've got some standing beans. I've got some corn. You know, I've, I've got different areas and different game plans in place. I'm playing that game right around probably the second week of January. Um, I feel like I'm getting pretty close. We're getting good weather, getting cold, getting snow. I feel like I'm getting pretty close to this buck that I'm after now. Um, another big main frame eight with kickers. I actually had him at seven yards full draw on like November 4th. Um, thinking it was the giant eight, but it ends up being this buck. And at seven yards, I let him walk by and let down. I sent Christian a picture of that buck. And I think that was one of the ones that you kind of wanted to hit me in the head with the ball bat on. You're like, yeah, you're crazy. You're crazy, man. You are. You are absolutely crazy. I mean, the stuff that Clint Casper passes up sometimes is enough to drive, you know, mere mortals like me crazy. And uh, I was just thinking, even as you started to tell this whole segment is like, you talked about all the time in Utah, Wyoming, Ohio. And I'm like, I just came back to something that, you know, you and I have talked about many times is the whole idea of fun, you know, how bow hunting has got to be fun. And like, I realized, you know, 80%, maybe 90% of all the bow hunters out there, you know, they're giving up at that point because there's only so many hours in the day. You mentioned how life continues to go on. You got family commitments, work commitments, you know, whatever it is, most people are going to reach a breaking point and say like, man, I, I, it's just not fun anymore. Or maybe they don't stop hunting completely, but they're going to definitely taper their efforts. Whereas, you know, that 10%, you know, it's what we always say, right? It's the top 10% of the bow hunters that take 90% of the game. And I don't know if it's quite that exaggerated, but 
there's definitely truth that, you know, the most dedicated among us are the ones who have the most consistent success. So, you know, brings us back to you. So you're thinking, you know, maybe I'm going to go shoot one of these other bucks and you're just kind of getting wrapped around that in your mind and starting to do a little bit of hunting. And then the, the giant eight shows back up, right? Yeah. So I hunted like 23 or 24 days in December. I'm on like 20 some days, basically in January. And I'm trying to now battle with these other bucks. And, you know, it's late season. These deer have been hunted for four months. I mean, they're on pins and needles. Like you got to be as sharp as a tack to get on big deer this, this late in the game. I mean, there is no margin for error. There, there, you, you can't make, your stand can't squeak. Uh, your arrow coming back on your rest can't make a noise. I mean, you've just got to be super dialed in. Um, it's tough. I mean, you know, I let some nice, some young bucks walk um, that are that were great deer, but they were just young. I, I've got it in my mind, these two five, six-year-old bucks that I let walk earlier and hunt them. One night, my dad calls me. It's about January, I think, right around the 18th or 19th. He calls me, and he's like, Clint. He's like, I was coming back from the barn tonight. I looked out across our pasture, and he's like over in the white silhouette, about 150 yards away. He's like, I'm telling you. He's like, I, I swear to you, it was the giant eight. He's like the biggest frame typical. He's like, he's digging in the snow in a cornfield. I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, Dad, I've got I've got seven cameras running. The neighbors like that that deer's it, it, I mean, it might be, it's, I'm sure it's a big buck. My dad's killed big bucks. I mean, he knows what big deer look like. But I'm like, I'm telling you, it's not him. He's like, I'm telling you, you're not going to get me to not believe that. He's like, I'm telling you, it's him. So the next morning, my dad's heading from the house, walking up their driveway, heading up to the barn. He's got to feed. He's getting ready to start his day. Right on the other side of our pasture fence, whenever we opened up this field to combine, we actually had to smash the first couple rows because it was muddy. And whenever we opened that field up to harvest, we didn't want to slide into the fence. So we ran down basically three rows of corn that never actually got shelled. We just knocked them over and started further away from that fence. This buck was rooting. He had like a trench dug the whole length of that fence overnight. And they were he was in there rooting in the snow, digging for those, those corn that are still on the stalks, but they're mowed over. They're a foot and a half under the ground. My dad's only 80 yards from him. He lifts his head up. He calls me. It's five something in the morning. I'm thinking something's wrong. You know, he, I wake up and he's like, Clint, I'm looking at him right now. He's like, I'm telling you, it's the giant ape. Well, at this point, I'm like, man, I'm like, are you sure? He's like, I'm telling you, I'm sure. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm now I'm kind of intrigued. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know. I mean, just, it doesn't make sense to me, but it could be. I mean, crazier things have happened. So I'm getting really close to killing this other buck. I hunt three more nights. That takes us up to the, the 24th of January. That night after I leave, I hunt, I come back, I leave, I grab my truck at the farm. I'm partway home. And I had to stop at the grocery store. My dad calls me. It's about 7.30. He drove his truck up around our barn to our silage bag. He was going to sack up some silage take down to our younger heifers across the street where we've got another farm. As his lights shine across this alfalfa field that we have, there stands the giant eight in the headlights at about 80 yards. 
I'm on the phone. I answered. I was like, hey, what's up? I'm at the grocery store. Let me call you back. He said, I am looking at the giant eight right now. We are, we are locked in on each other. He's up behind the barn. He's at 80 yards. He's like, there's no mistaking. It's him. He's alive. I'm like, you're sure? He's like, Clint, I'm telling you, it's him. So I said, okay, I'll be over tomorrow. I'm going to put a camper up. We got this big alfalfa field. We we took four cuttings off it. We made we made hay on it four times. We were going to make the fifth cutting in October, but we ran out of time because we were combining corn and beans. So we never actually got to cut it. So it, it ended up growing pretty tall. Now it's blanketed underneath that snow. It's the only lush green that's around. And that snow acts like an insulator. So basically, that stuff is underneath the snow by a foot and a half. It's like green candy down there. It looks like mines have went off. It just looks like there's there's landmines that went off in this field. Thousands of them were deer are digging, trying to get down to this alfalfa. So the next day on the 25th, before I hunt, I go and put a camera up. I'm like, all right, I put a camera up. I had some some big time blend. I threw two bags in front of it. I thought, I have no idea where this buck's going to be in this field, but he should smell this. He'll come up. I just want a picture. I just want to know it's him. Like, I just want confirmation it's this buck so i'm thinking okay put a camera up hopefully he comes in to check it out or smell it or whatever something 655 that night ping phone goes off it's him one picture he come up kind of looked at stuff one picture off he goes 655 so now in my head, like it's it's totally. I'm, I've spent six weeks trying to chase other deer. I'm now locked back in. I'm like, man, oh man, what are we gonna do now? Like, here we go. We're back in the game. So the direction he was coming from is the area that he had always kind of loved to hang out in. It's what I would call his core area. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, the next day it's gonna be negative ten out. That buck is wanting to come to this alfalfa in their core to feed. It's the closest, easiest food for him to get to. It's super cold. I'm like, all right, you know, this is just what we got to do. I'm going to have to go over there, get in between where I think he's bedding in this field. There's a fence row. You have to sneak in there and basically do a hang and hunt. I'm going to come in with a Novik stand on my back, four sticks. It's not going to be fun. I mean, it's it's negative 10 out, but I'm going to have to go in and hang and hunt, get the stand in place. Hopefully I kill him. If I don't, I'm going to now hunt this buck. And hopefully in 10 days of left of season, I can get it done. I remember talking to you that night. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, we, you called me and you told me, you know, about what had happened. And you're like, I'm going in there. And it was like, dang, son, get after it and get it done. And I remember you telling me, you know, that you were going in there to set that stand and like I was waiting for a call. And then I remember, I think I, I was, I was actually in my garage uh, that night working on some stuff and ended up getting a call from you. I think, I think it was the same day, right? You killed that the first time in, right? Yeah. So it was that very night. So it was like, you know, you went in and had all the intel and, and you made it happen. So I'll let you walk me through because honestly, 
I never had you give me the blow by blow of what went down that day because I was saving it for here to get it fresh for the first time. So tell me about it and, uh, you know, just take us through that hunt. So I wanted to get in there around two o'clock. Um, he was living on, I figured he was betting on this south facing slope. So the south facers get all the sunlight when it's that cold. What I thought was this buck would potentially follow that light. And in late season, I've, I've watched mature does and bucks do this. They will get up and switch beds and move with the sun. They want to stay in the sun. I mean, that's the only thing they've got to keep them warm, especially when it's that cold. So if they can stay in the sun, they like to do that. You know, it, it's that helps them sit longer. I think it helps them stay more content. So if they want to wait longer to actually move to feed, that's keeping them warmer more throughout the day. So my, my plan was I wanted to wait you know, later on in the afternoon, let that sun start to kind of go the other way. That should push this buck and any deer bedded down in this ravine further down away from me to allow me to sneak in, get to this tree line, do a hang and hunt, get set up. My goal was to be set up by 315. Right at about 10 after three, I remember looking, I'm like, okay, I'm all set. I'm in, I'm in this, I'm in this walnut tree surrounded by oaks, barely had to cut anything. I'm brushed in really good, kind of all natural. I got a west wind right in my face. I got the bedding down below me. I'm thinking I should see them come up out of this ravine. They'll come over to this fence row and they're going to work up past me as they head to this alfalfa field in the cornfields where they've all been feeding and they've all been digging. About five o'clock rolls around. I've not seen any deer yet. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, now you know, we're, we're getting in that time frame where things should start to happen. Um, I'm running hand warmers. I got my sick and fanatic on. I mean, I'm all bundled up. It's, it's minus 10. It's cold, but I'm feeling pretty good. Like it didn't take me long to put the stand up and, and everything. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. Besides, you know, your face with the wind in it constantly. Other than that, honestly, it was, was pretty comfortable, really. I remember standing up, putting my seat up, and I'm leaning against the tree, and I hear, I hear this crack. It just sounds like two bucks would hit or hit, and then they let go. Well. This will all make sense, but jumping back to what I know about this buck, he never ran with other deer. Even in the summer, he never really bachelored up. He was a loner. He didn't like other deer to be close to him. I've got a lot of pictures of him on minerals or on like um, big time sites where I would like throw minerals and corn and, and, and like have like a bait site there for photos and stuff just to get intel in the summer. A lot of pictures of him chasing deer off it you know, running at other deer with his rack down. He just didn't like deer to be close to him. I hear this crack and I'm like, damn, what was that? And it was down in that valley. And I'm thinking there surely is not a neighbor that's close by down the valley. That's rattling. I mean, it's January 26. I don't even know who'd be hunting. Like you almost got to be insane to be out. It's minus 10. I was going to say, you're the last crazy guy in the woods, my man. Now, basically, so so I hear it again. I hear it again, just one loud crack. And I'm like, gosh dang. So I, I pull out my binos and I'm, I'm looking and I'm looking, I'm looking, and all of a sudden, down in through a couple of these treetops that were down, I just see the white and I, I just, I see those beams. I know immediately it's him. Well, what it was is there was another smaller buck 
and they were feeding on oaks coming up, coming up out of that draw, feeding across the ridge. I think they were feeding on oaks, and that other buck was getting too close. When that would happen, he would lunge into him. They would hit. I'd hear the crack, and then that's it. They weren't actually fighting. He just didn't want him to get close to him. At this point now, I can see the other buck, the younger buck, really well, and I can see him working towards me. And all I can see is just bits and pieces, but there's no mistake in this rat. I mean, it's it's him for sure. I remember in that moment, texting. I, I texted my dad and, and both my buddies that were there uh, for the recovery. Holy crap! Giant eights on his way. He's at about 275 yards. I couldn't believe it because I mean I haven't seen this buck in in person, you know, since November 7th. Um, not a picture since the 16th. That's it. Nothing. I mean, nothing. I get that picture the night before, and I mean, that's it. So you're talking a two month gap. You know, there's there's just nothing. It's gone. He starts working my way, and buck after buck start coming out. I I lose track of how many actual bucks are in there. They get down in this little valley, and I know now they're committed. They're going to work their way up to the tree line, and I'm hoping they're going to work right in front of me, work down this tree line, hug the tree line. I'm going to get to shoot them at like 20 yards. 10, 15 minutes go by. I haven't seen anything. I'm still standing and facing right down the tree row. I keep kind of peeking out. All of a sudden, all of a sudden I catch something out of the corner of my eye on the other side of the tree line. It's him, 30 yards in closing walking right at me. The way he's walking, he's literally going to brush up against my tree. I remember panic almost setting in because I'm thinking, wow, this is not good. The wind is blowing out of the west. It's going to literally blow, hopefully, right over top of him. But if it somehow drops straight down, like all these deer are now going to wrap right around my tree. He's coming, 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 and he's he's now at seven, eight yards, and there's just a trail of bucks. So now I'm counting the bucks. I'm leaning against the tree. I'm trying to stay as tight to the tree as I can, and I'm counting. He goes by. Another buck goes by, and they're all wrapping around me, and then going out into the other on the other side of this tree row. He's standing out there just hanging out for ten minutes, and I'm having to let all these bucks go by. There ends up being nine bucks and one doe, so I got ten deer. I have 10 deer that need to get around me and get by me before I can actually make any move and start to do anything. All the bucks follow him. He's the first one out, except for this spike in the dough at the very end. I don't know why the spike decided he was going to do something different. He gets right out in front of me. He's trying to go through the fence. He can't get through the fence. Making all this racket, all this noise. The other deer that are out feeding, they're always they're on pins and needles the whole time because this little buck's in there making all this noise. I've got the doe eating bark off the tree I'm in. I'm looking down through my stand. She's straight below me. And I remember just praying to God, like, please, please just get them out of here. Like, just, just get them away. If she looks up and catches my straps that might sway or anything, like, she's going to blow in this whole group. Oh, and chances are, you know, think about how cold it is. Your yeah. muscles... Your muscles are cramping up. You're probably like, you know what I always get when deer are on you like that and you're literally locked down and you can't move? I get side stitches. I get side stitches so bad I start to cramp up right in here. And it's like you just want to move so bad or stretch. And like, uh, it's the worst, my man. It's the worst. 
So they finally work around me. Every one of these deer, I could have grabbed one of my kids and dropped literally on their heads. I mean, we're at a yard or two. Um, the doe's eating bark off the tree I'm in. Luckily, a fork dips up. Finally, they feed out. So now I've got all 10 deer out in front of me. <laughs> I'm waiting on the opportunity now. I got my bow in my hand. I'm, I'm waiting on the opportunity to draw back, but I've got all these sets of eyes. Um, super cold out. I don't like gloves. Um, I got fingerless gloves on. I had my hands in my pockets, a hand warmer. I did a back tension release. I can remember holding my bow, holding my release. It's a brass release. I can remember my fingers really, really, really starting to stick. And I'm thinking, man, that's not good, but there's nothing I can do about it. Like there's at this point, there's just nothing I can do. Finally, that buck has had enough. A couple other deer had gotten too close to him. He runs them all off and actually jabs the doe so hard that he knocks her down. If he would have been close to shedding, I think he would have popped both antlers off. When that took place, I thought, oh, here's my opportunity. I get back to full draw, and when I get back to full draw, I, I don't know how I lost track, but I lost track of the spike. He ended up, I think he just wanted to be my friend. I think he wanted to hang out with me. Nobody else really liked him. He was directly underneath me. Now he's backing up. He's looking straight up. He 100% he caught me drawing. He was so close to me that I was looking over him. He's looking up at me, and he's kind of backing off, turning his head. I'm like, oh, no. Everybody now is on high alert, and they're looking. Now, I'm tucked in pretty good in this walnut. I've got oaks around me, but still, though, they know something is peaking this little buck's attention. Thankfully, nobody blows. I'm in full draw, and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. This is not, you know, this is not. How far, how, how, how far is the giant eight now at this point? Uh, he's at like 23 yards. All the other deer are scattered between me and him, and then there was two other bucks that he chased off that were past him. So everything is 35, 40 yards to the base of my tree. Everything's in that range. Everything's looking in my direction. They don't know what this little buck is getting all nervous about. So I've done this before in the past. I've never done it with a giant buck standing in front of me, but I have done this to calm deer down when they can't win me, but they potentially thought they saw something moving. I just I try to sound like a squirrel. So I'm at full draw and I'm just like, the little buck kind of looks like, you know, he's right underneath me. And I knew he was going to kind of give that look. Everybody else is kind of looking, looking, looking like, I don't know. They start to all walk off. Nobody's running, but we're walking. Thankfully, the little buck does not blow. He just kind of walks off too. As they're walking, I did it again. I'm like, I just want them to like think, okay, Squirrel, I don't know. That seems normal. So I do it again. <laughs> you got to do a pretty good squirrel impression there, man. I can't do that. Go ahead. Just come on. For the for all the, the listeners here, I'll take a little more squirrel, please, before we move on. I mean, I, you know. <laughs> Beautiful. I've done this with turkeys, you know, where I've had turkeys around or work through and doe gets nervous. And you just, you know, you just give a cluck or a purr or some yelps and just try to sound like, oh, okay, maybe I saw a turkey, maybe a turkey flew up, whatever the deal is. I'm thinking, okay, squirrel. They start to walk off. They're walking away from me. Finally, now I can let down. 
Here's where I made a rookie mistake. Um, I was a pool draw for, I would say, probably a good minute, minute and a half in the cold. I'm not thinking about what that just did to all my muscles and stuff. I'm just thinking about, holy crap, I got to hang this bow up. My hands are freezing, and I got to, and hopefully these deer don't spook. At this point, I'm thinking, all right, you're not going to kill him tonight, but they didn't blow. They're just going to kind of feed off, maybe go back to where they bed. They stop at about 80 yards, and they start feeding again. Just completely, everybody stops. Everyone's calm again. The does wagging their tail, the buck chasing the other deer around, they get too close. And I'm like, man, I'm like, I've got 20 more minutes of shooting. Like, I'm like, holy crap, like, they're back to feeding again. All of a sudden, the giant eight, he's in the lead again. Here he comes. Now he's working further away. So he didn't want to stay tight to my tree. He's working further out into the field, which makes sense because he did, he never physically saw a squirrel. I mean, I do think that helped calm him down a little bit, but still, he doesn't know for sure. So he's working more towards the center. So I'm raging. I'm like, okay, he's going to be like 35, 37, somewhere in there. Run my dial down to 37. So I'm thinking, okay, if he's a 35, hold a little low. If he's a 40, hold a little high. Like now, now I'm good there. I got my bow back in my hand. I'm, work, I'm running my range finder. Here he comes. He's working his way, working his way. All the other deer are behind him which is great because I don't, you know, I'm thinking, man, as soon as you get up here, the first window you get to, I'm killing you because I do not want all these deer up here again. It's so hard to try to get back to full draw. He's coming, he's coming. I'm like, okay, he's going to hit 37. Perfect. I'm on, I'm dialed down on 37. I click him one last time, 37. All the deer are 20, 30 yards behind him, heads down. No one's paying attention. This is where I made a mistake. And it almost cost me. Put my bow out, and I just, instead of drawing super, super slow and really making my back tight to use as much as of my, my muscles back there as I can, I just kind of am like, oh, here we go. Here's my opportunity. I get about right to here, and I just feel this pop. Now, both my shoulders are double jointed, so the cold does affect them a little bit different. Like, I've got to really, like I said, this is my own mistake. I, I know better. I got to really stay tight and draw really slow when it's cold so nothing bad happens. I feel this pop. And immediately, I, I honestly thought, because the burn, I really thought, holy crap, you might have just tore your rotator cuff. Now panic mode setting in a little bit. I got my elbow down like this. I'm trying to roll my arm up because, you know, I need to roll my arm up and get locked in like this. I can't do that. I'm like this. I'm like, okay, drop everything down. Get back to full draw. When back to full draw, I'm like, okay, now we got to get our bow up. Start to get my bow up. I can get this arm up. I cannot roll. I cannot roll this up. This is about as good as I can get right here. Like I've got a T-Rex like arm, basically. I'm not struggling to hold the bow, but I literally, it's like a vice is on that shoulder. I cannot roll up. Absolutely just cannot do it. So I'm like, okay. If I can get everything lined up and get centered and I feel comfortable, instead of pushing and pulling, I'm going to just rotate my hands on this handle until the shot breaks. So in my head, I'm like, if you can't get things lined up, we're not going to do something stupid here. We absolutely are not going to take a shot that's just a wild hail, hail Mary. We're at 37 yards. If you can get everything lined up and you feel confident, we're going to take it. He's quartered away. I get everything lined up, and I remember that moment thinking, okay, 
You just got to work through this release, let the bow do its job. Instead of pushing and pulling, you're just going to rotate your hand and keep doing that until the bow breaks. Just bury the pin and focus on rotate the hand. That, that's it. Extremely weird because I don't shoot like that, but I felt very comfortable. I got things lined up. Everything's good. Pins on the butt. I'm squeezing, 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 squeezing. Finally, shot breaks. Arrow buries into the butt. He's, he's, he turns immediately and kind of spins out. When he spins out, he falls down. When he gets back up, he's spraying blood immediately. So I'm thinking, heck yes. Like, man, I, I drilled him. Like, this is, this is great. Then reality sets in of immediately, it was so weird. I went from, holy crap, it happened to, oh my gosh, my hands. I remember I hooked my bow up. I went to get my phone out. My fingers touched my cold phone case, and I mean, I almost dropped it. I looked down, and they've still got red and purple tint to them. Not as bad, but they're just on fire. And I thought, oh, man, that's not good. Um, something to think about, because this is real-life scenario here. I'm not a glove guy. I don't like gloves, but I'm going to tell you right now, um, next time I'm going to have to figure out what I can do with gloves and no bare skin, bare skin exposed because where my release sits, if you were here right now, everywhere that brass release touch, especially on this hand, I mean, is it white? Yesterday, I wouldn't have been able to hold this can without it just stinging awful. I mean, frostbite, frost nip, whatever you want to call it, it's setting in. Oh, it's ser it's it's serious stuff too because you can. I mean, you could lose fingers over that sort of thing. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to mess around with that. No, I was, I was worried. It was stinging and hurting so bad. I went from, I just shot the biggest frame, green, typical eight of my life to, wow, I need to get to heat, get back to the barn and get warmed up immediately. Like this is bad. This is real bad. I got down. I could see blood on point of impact. Didn't even didn't even get on the blood trail finally get my hands to work enough to call my dad um i'm all pumped up i'm letting him know and he's like man you sound like you're like you're you're, you're so shook up and it's like i'm like dad it's a combination between shook up hands are on fire like it you know <laughs> like i'm like I, I don't know as soon as i shoot an animal if i don't see it go down i mean it sounded like you went maybe 100 120 yards and crashed but it's just as a bow hunter that flood of emotion hits you up Man, what happened? Uh, what, you know, was it not as good as I thought? Um, everything's running through your head, you know? And I get back to the barn. I remember I called Christian. I called Kurt. called both my buddies to come over. And I'm like, you know, let's give him some time. Let's just, let's, let's give him an hour or two. And then we'll go up and just kind of check out the scene and see, see what happened. In the meantime, I'm like, I've got to get something done with these hands. I mean, even with all the adrenaline dump, they were just... They, they were hurting, you know, they were, they were in bad shape. So, and like I said, I don't, uh, I, I'm not trying to touch on this to make it sound like I'm, I'm tough or whatever. I'm actually, I, I want people to understand, like, everyone says, oh, if your hands are cold for a little bit, it's fine. But honestly, they were only out for 15, 20 minutes. And I mean, it was, it was bad. Like, you know, don't take this stuff lightly if you're going to hunt late. Well, and, and you you know what? One thing I can't understand is everything that they're doing with carbon now. I can't believe that nobody has developed a carbon fiber handle for 
for thumb releases and tension releases. I mean, I, I, maybe it's harder than you think, but like it would really be money in a late season situation. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, I love that brass true ball that I run, but I'll tell you what, I mean, that thing was like holding on to a piece of hot metal. I mean, my fingers just stung so bad from that thing being so cold. Um, so my buddies come over, we wait about two hours. We get up there and we spread out both sides. I mean, you know, uh, hitting back on that last rib, it looked like my sever, I was shooting the severs. It looked like I probably clipped part of that artery. It runs up off their hip into like in towards their stomach, went up in through the ribs, up through the liver and up into what could have been the opposite shoulder. But it looked like I buried pretty much clear of the flesh. But he ended up breaking the arrow off and throwing it somewhere. Um, Still need to go back and try to find my other half, but so he spraying out both sides, and now it's kind of setting in. Like I'm like, oh man, this looks good. I mean, he's pumping it out, spraying it out. We get right to the tree line, and that's kind of where I heard he crash was in that in that tree line. Um, I remember uh, flashing the lights. I'm looking out ahead of me. I got Ryan and my dad and Adam behind me, and I just remember seeing what would have been, you know, the left side of that beam i just see that big bladed or a big bladed g2 it's sticking up out of the snow and i just remember thinking like oh my gosh i mean like i've just i've wanted a giant eight that's just always been like a dream buck for me uh the way the season played out just you know i adam and my dad and ryan they all saw me get that buck with my light you know they're hooting and hollering like they're going crazy um you know Adam's in disbelief. Like, I, I remember hearing all that, but I'm so just in the moment of getting up to that deer. I remember I grab him out of the snow and I'm brushing him off and Adam gets out in front of me and starts snapping photos. And like the photo that I posted, um, I've got a lot better photos than that. But that photo just, that kind of encompasses the whole year for me because I brush him off. I lift him up out of that snow and I'm looking at him and you can just see it on in my eyes and on my face, man. Like just the journey to get there. I just feel like if you're a bow hunter, you can look at that picture and be like, man, I don't know this guy, but he is just absolutely immersed in the moment. Like it just all come together. It all hit me. I finally got to actually look at him and see what he really was. And, and, and it all just kind of hit me like, man, what a dog fight. What a grind it's been to get to this point. And for it to end like this in the brutal cold, in the snow, like, that's just one of those moments that I will never forget. You know, my dad and Ryder in the background, man, you know, they're cracking open beers and Adam's hooking and hollering. The coyotes down the, the valley, they're, they're hooking and hollering, which, um, so that deer only laid two hours. Three, three coyotes were on that buck. They actually ate part of the hind quarter um, before we got there. So they had Oh, my goodness. Gone on three sets. They're hooting hollering. You know, it just that moment, man, is just something that it that's just one of those moments that's like, man, you'll go your whole life, and there's gonna be certain moments in time that just really stick out every little single detail. That was just one of those moments. It just doesn't get any better. It just doesn't get any better. And you know, I mean, listen, you know, if 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 I would have come to you in September and said, do you want to kill this buck on opening day? You would have said, heck yeah, I want to kill him on opening day. I mean, put him in front of me. And it would have been great. But that's not the way that it happened. 
And it happened the way that it happened. And now that you look back in hindsight, I mean, it wasn't easy. It wasn't always fun, you know, when you're out there in minus 10 degrees. But I'm going to bet that you wouldn't trade it, you know, for anything else. Because like you said, that's going to be one of the best memories that you have from your bow hunting career. It doesn't matter how many more years you bow hunt, how many more big gear you kill. That is always going to be a special buck. And you might as well just tell people now, too, since we didn't talk about it at all. I know neither one of you or I, you know, are obsessed with score, but that was a pretty high scoring buck on top of being, you know, just an awesome trophy, you know, in his own right. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we put a tape to him quick. I haven't got nitty gritty, but, you know, we were right in that 166 to 168 mark, you know, pretty much every time. And I thought in my mind he would be 165, 170 is just a big clean eight. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking, but honestly, he could have scored 142 and it wasn't a matter. I mean, it just wasn't a matter. Um, no, but I mean, that's a giant eight pointer. It's hard for an eight point buck to score close to 170 inches. Right. I mean, I knew he was going to be something special. I knew the frame was just out of this world. You know, he's got a 26 and a half inch beam, a 12, a almost 25 inch beam, like 21 on the inside, 24 and a half on the outside, 44, 45 inches of mass. I mean, just, I mean, just, just a dream buck for me as far as just a big, typical eight point frame. You know, I mean, he's got a big bladed G2s, I mean, seven inch brows, like it just, just a dream buck for me and for it to all happen the way it did. And then, you know, like, man, my boys were so excited. I mean, gosh, like when they found out, you know, I tried calling them that night, they were already asleep. So their mom, Danielle's like, hey, you know, I'll have them call you first thing in the morning. They're going to be so pumped. You know, that, that buck um, meant a lot to me because they both were old enough to be like involved. Like someone would bring up a big deer and, if my mom or dad were around or, or they were with their mom, you know, she'd always laugh and be like, yeah, someone was talking about a deer and your boys started in telling a story for an hour about the giant eight. And no one knows who the giant eight is, but them. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, me and my dad, we, you know, we know where he lives and, and, and we're going to give him, you know, it was always we, you know, they were like such a big part of that. They were involved. And I had my good, one of my best friends, Emily Sean, come up and take photos the other day. And, I can't wait to show you these photos. Um, I'll post them sometime this week of the boys. I mean, they were just so proud and so excited, you know, so happy for dad. It just because, you know, it was a, it was a buck that they were so involved in. They were both old enough to, you know, their Ethan will be six in May. Keaton just turned three on the 24th. So they're old enough now to where they kind of claimed like ownership of that deer. You know, they were like, Oh yeah, you know, we're gonna get him, you know, we're, we're gonna get him like they they helped me, you know, and they, they were part of that. They were so excited to call me on the phone that next morning and hear the story and then get to see him and, and just be a part of that. I mean, the picture with uh being in the box and both the boys, I mean, you know, I would trade that photo over that deer. If someone said you could either have the photo or you could have the buck, I'd take the photo and say you take the buck. Like that photo right there, I mean, it just in that moment. That's for me. That's that's what it's all about. Well, you know what they say that that's the good stuff, man. That's the good stuff right there, and that's really what it's all about. And you know, I I was thinking because we gotta wrap this up. Unfortunately, you know, we're coming up on God golly, Clint, you're a storyteller. An hour and a half. I'm gonna sneeze. Oh, okay. I caught myself. Um, 
we didn't get, you know, hunting strategy wise, there was a ton of really good practical information. Equipment wise, we didn't really get into it. And I thought that that was kind of appropriate because what you just talked about, I do want to know, though, did you shoot that with the V3 or the V3X? V3, I've not had enough time yet with the V3X to completely get comfortable with it where I wanted to go out and chase that buck. So gotcha. I stuck with my, stuck with my V3. But thankfully, that thing is so quiet in that cold. I mean, it, you know, I, I, was, I was checking stuff daily, bolts and things, because you just, you just can't have anything malfunction. You can't have a squeak. You just, when it's that cold, everything is magnified on sound. So, I mean... Shout out to those guys at Matthews for, you know, putting out the bones that they do as far as, you know, just so dead quiet. I mean, that buck never knew that arrow was on a play. You know, so, so yeah, so you shot it with the Matthews. I know you used the sever. You mentioned the Novik stand. But, but like I said, this whole hunt really wasn't about the gear. It's not, it wasn't really, I mean, yeah, the bow helped. The broadhead did the job. But what's the story about? Two things to me that stood out, right, in listening to you for the last 90 minutes. One, the power of perseverance. And two, it was family, you know, and making memories, right? Your kids, your dad, your buddy Ryan, you know, Emily coming up to take the pictures for you. Uh, the other guy that you had there with you the night of the recovery. I mean, that's that's really what it's all about right there. And um you know, there's so much, so much that you're going to take away. You know, you, you may not, you may not remember, you know, all the equipment 30 years from now that you had that night. Maybe you will, but I guarantee you, you're going to remember, you know, those cold hands and being in the barn with your dad and, and those bush lights cracking open when you, and I mean, man, it's just so awesome. And I'm just so pumped for you. I mean, when I got the call that night, as soon as I saw it was you, because I knew you had gone, I was like, that's it. Casper has finally broken the curse. He has gotten the job done. He's on the board. He's got some sweet content coming for Peterson's bow hunting. And, uh, and it couldn't have happened to a more deserving guy. So I just am thrilled for you. Appreciate the heck out of you all the time. But uh, especially today, you know, taking the time to to tell us that whole story and you didn't hold back. I mean, for those of you who have stuck with us to the end here, that is Casper's unabridged version of the hunt for the grade eight, because, you know, he, we covered it all from opening day to the, to the frostbitten fingers and everything in between. Yeah. I mean, and I can't think, you know, between the people that, you know, subscribe to the magazine, that listen to the podcast, just follow me on social media. I mean, the amount of people that were following along the, the daily um, the daily messages I would get from people. A lot of guys and gals I've never even met, but they're like, man, how's it going? Keep grinding, dude. We're following you along. It's going to happen. Like, you're going to get your opportunity. You know, um, I kill the buck. I take a few days to let it all soak in. Um, I posted on social media and I mean, just an outpour of people, you know, just comments and, and likes and sharing my stuff. And it just, I can't thank, you know, people like that enough because it really does. I mean, I do what I do in the outdoor space um, because of that support and that appreciation. And I mean, I can't thank people enough for gravitating towards 
just some blue collar guy from Ohio that's a, a proud dad and a guy that loves to bow hunt and, and follows along with my journeys, whether it's in the pages of Peterson Bow Hunting or on a podcast or whatever. Like it's uh it's almost surreal to me the doors and the opportunities I've been granted because of just the appreciation and, and, and the people that follow along and, and like to like to follow what I'm doing. You know, it's it's mind blowing, it's crazy, but gosh darn, I appreciate every single one of you. Well, and I, I just, uh, honestly, I can't think of a better way to kick out our new format than sharing this story because, you know, Clint, we we talked about it, you know, with this relaunch, with the bow hunting podcast, you know, the new tagline, all bow hunting all the time, man, that's what today's conversation was, wasn't it? I mean, that was dripping with the passion of a guy who's completely eaten up with bow hunting and just lives to do it, you know, 24 seven, 365. And, you know, I'm not actually very good. If you've listened to our podcast over the years, I spend really no time like promoting ourselves. I am going to take a minute here at the end, Clint, and just say, if you like this conversation that we had with Clint today, if you're a passionate bow hunter, if you have not been a faithful listener, you know, to this podcast in the past, I'm going to give you a lot more of what we had today going forward. Make sure you subscribe. Um, make sure to follow us. And uh, I will be honored, you know, to share this time that we have uh, each week uh, with you and with people like Clint. And, and I know it's going to be a lot of fun going forward. And it was a lot of fun today. So until we do this again, which is going to be in the near future, Clint, I know we're going to get Kurt and we're going to talk a little bit about the history of working class because I, I have a lot of respect for what Kurt has done and the following he's built. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. But until then, uh, I know I don't have to sort of encourage you too much to do this. Continue to enjoy that success. Bask in the afterglow. You know, you called me the other night randomly and I was like, yeah, what's up? You're like, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I just laughed because you've literally been hunting for so long. It was like you went from 100 to zero, you know, overnight. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm sitting around my house at seven o'clock at night. I mean, I haven't done anything. What I, you know, it's like, well, get used to it, buddy. It's called basking in the afterglow, recharging the batteries, catching up on your sleep, taking care of all those projects around the house and turkey season isn't very far away. That's right, my man, that's right. You got sheds to find and turkeys to get packed out for you and Jimmy to come out. All right. Well, we're Casper approved and that's a heck of a start. Take care, everybody. We'll see you again soon. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.